Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod! All right, the Westside Personalized Podcast is back uh, for another edition here today, and we're going to have a podcast uh, coming to you live, I guess, from Sunset Hills Elementary, the new Sunset Hills Elementary, uh, as the building uh, opened this year, and so I'm really appreciating the digs that we're in right now as we're having our conversation uh, today here with Lynn Spady, who actually did a podcast with me. It was one of the first ones that I uh, had ever recorded, and I have learned so much since then, uh, and she's done so much great work since then that we decided to kind of double down and revisit uh, some of the great work that Lynn's doing in our district. So Lynn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And uh, for people that don't know your story, you want to give us kind of your background in education and current role and all that, all that good stuff? Okay. I guess I'll start with, I went to Westside Community Schools, and my love for math really did start in seventh grade when I had Mr. Rick Hoffman as my teacher. And as I reflect back, I just had a lot of amazing teachers through my career, as most people can say about their career at Westside. And it ultimately was Mr. Hoffman and Mrs. Kosky, my two middle school math teachers that made me want to go into teaching math. Mm -hmm. And I also reflect a lot about my older sister, who was kind of labeled as that math genius uh, at Westside. And so I feel like sometimes she got a little bit extra attention because she was the high flyer with math and science. And she was definitely pushed into that engineering you know, degree in college, whereas I was kind of your run-of-the-mill average student. I went through all of the grade-level courses, and I did just fine, and I had a great experience, but uh, my passion, I guess, roots from some of those early experiences I had as a student, and I can identify with students who are grade-level math, and I can also identify with the pushing ahead that sometimes kids get from their parents Mm -hmm. or maybe from their teachers or just their own intrinsic motivation to want to go further than what the grade level provides for them in in the area of math. So I started teaching at the middle school math and science for about nine years, spent some time on the district tech team. So I was able to visit K-12 classrooms in all the buildings, which now you know is such a huge... (laughs) It's a busy day sometimes. And it's also great professional learning for you because you get to see the big picture of what amazing things are happening across the board instead of me just in your classroom or in your department. And so those five years were invaluable for me for learning about the K-12 experience in Mm -hmm. our district, which is awesome. And for the past six years, I've been on the Excellence in Youth team, and my role on that team has morphed into some different avenues because we do have <laughs> yeah. the freedom to do some different things, which is mm-hmm. awesome. So kind of explain Excellence in Youth for people that don't know that as a program. Excellence in Youth is otherwise referred to as TAG, Talented and Gifted, or HAL, High Ability Learner. It's basically... Insert acronym here. Right. <laughs> Education is uh, known for the acronyms, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just our name for our gifted program. Although I do like to say enrichment program yeah, because... I think it's a little bit more inclusive because we do not just serve our... Like gifted population exclusively. Right. Yeah. Right. We like to um, extend those services sometimes when we can. And so you're providing kind of middle school level math experiences for your, your kind of upper elementary students, like right with all of this, for them primarily is what right. we're going to like be able to talk about a little bit today. Right. Uh, and so I, I love for the sake of the podcast too, because I know maybe you're listening and saying, well, we're talking about gifted and this is a personalized podcast. 
Well, a couple of things. One, uh, Lynn has had an opportunity to, to come listen to our presentation probably a couple times <laughs> for uh, about personalized learning. And so it's very, I guess, steeped in our district's definition and elements and understands personalized learning exceptionally well. Yeah, even brought one of her college classes that she was teaching uh, through to kind of have those conversations. Uh, and then I, I do feel like if you are trying to, I like that you said enrichment there, like to cater the learning experience and provide challenges for all students. Well, yeah, of course, like gifted is included in that. And so are students that maybe aren't, don't have that title. And the role of the excellence in youth program is out there doing a lot of that work um, for us at the elementary level. And so that's awesome. What are some of the things right now that you're invested in with math uh, as you are kind of seeing uh, to try to reach that population, I guess? Well, I have a couple of drivers in what I'm currently doing. One of the main ones is that these kids in sixth grade right now will no doubt take a online course somewhere in between now and their senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. If not completely online, some sort of blended course where they're supposed to watch videos before coming to class the next day. So part of my driver is, you know, why do we wait until high school to give them some of these experiences when we should really start coaching them at a lot younger age and give them that time to develop? So Mm -hmm. this way of teaching math where I provide some videos and structured notes and kind of an outline is just a way to get them prepared for a class in the future. And I just feel like with technology where it's at, they're going to have opportunities to take these kinds of courses moving ahead. So why not be able to say, oh, yeah, in sixth grade, I tried this format Mm -hmm. and I learned this about myself as a learner. And I always tell the kids, if you come out of this experience knowing that online courses are not for you, then that's great. You'll know something about yourself as a learner. Or you might come out of it saying, wow, I really enjoyed having my own uh, path or Mm -hmm. uh, pacing and having some control over my learning versus always being spoon-fed by the teacher. And so if that is the result of this experience, then that's amazing to me because I think that's just as important as the actual math content I'm trying to deliver. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, well, and that's, I think that that comes up right alongside what we're trying to get done with personalized learning as well. It's to say that if you're going to go through a learning experience, there should be things that you have an acute sensibility to that start to guide and refine your process for how you go about trying to educate yourself or to navigate a future educational experience moving forward. Right. Uh, And so maybe even in that context, uh, might be, well, if I am going to learn online, what are some other things that I need to do to make sure that I round out that experience to help make sure that I'm successful? Would you say it's kind of part of... Yes, absolutely. So, so that's great. I, yeah. that, there is personalized stuff in there. We got tech that's playing into this and students in control of pace. Right. And so, okay, so let's delve into a little bit further then. So if someone's like trying to emulate something like this, like you said, you developed this class and you have all these different pieces with, mm-hmm. between video and uh, the resources that you mentioned... Uh, So what does that kind of look like, I guess? Um, And what what topics are you getting into with this course? It kind of, I guess, ties into my second driver for... Oh, perfect. Yeah, sorry. I kind of got ahead of the game there a little bit. (laughs) Second driver. So we'll segue that. This works. Just projects and math. If I ask people what they remember about math class, you know, you just don't remember the notes that you took or the worksheets that you did. You remember projects that you did. And so... The second kind of driver in all of this is providing some opportunities for kids to learn the content, but then apply it to something else. And so when we're studying ratios, we're going to do a golden ratio project where kids take their face and they do the measurements on their face to see if any of their measurements are golden, which is a perfect, you know, has lots of <laughs> lots of artistic implications and uh, applications outside of the math classroom. And I just feel like 
today's math classroom is so filled with what stuff has to get done. You mm -hmm. know, we have to get this indicator taught. We have to get this topic test by this date. Where do we have time to explore the application of some of these things? And it's no fault to anyone because of the time. We have sure. time and we have restrictions. And depending on the experience of the teacher, I mean, they're teaching elementary teachers six different subjects. And mm -hmm. so if you're trying to make applications and apply everything outside of the content, sometimes that can be a stretch. And so I'm lucky enough to have that global view, I guess, of K-12 and kind of have taught the next level. And I've definitely put myself into uh, conferences and situations where I can learn the application part so that when I am teaching something in math, I can pick up on a application. And that's just only because that's my my passion. I want to right. find those situations where you can apply it. So second, first driver was, this is something that kids are going to experience. I'd like to get that experience a little bit earlier down the line so they have time to kind of morph into yeah. some of that later. And then second driver is some of the projects and the application of math. Mm -hmm. But then really the third piece is just, you know, the content. And really, should that be the first piece? The Shouldn't the content be the most important? <laughs> I Well, I would say this, I guess. I feel like most educators get into, and I heard it in your response from earlier, get into this because they appreciated a relationship that they had with a teacher and they would like to be able to be that person for somebody else. And, and it can be. It can be that you're just so passionate about math that that sort of drives you and, right. and then you sort of pick the other piece up. But to say that uh, that, that perspective doesn't exist or shouldn't be um, understood as part of the scope of any educator's commitment to what we do. Mm -hmm. um, It'd be tough to just wake up, I, for me at least. I'm just going to speak for myself. I, I would have a tough time waking up and just being all about English 100% of the time every single day. Yeah. I love going and seeing and see that moment where the light flicks on and all of a sudden they realize you know something that they didn't uh, experience in a profound way before when they write that essay and they're just so happy that with yeah, the final they piece. Light up. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, those are, I, I would never fault anybody for being interested in that, that kind of moment, <laughs> those things. So you're good. I think you're good. Well, the content is, you know, uh, very traditional and anyone listening to the podcast, if you want like a PDF of this booklet that I put together, I'm happy to share. I guess at first glance, it does look pretty impressive, but you know, the creator's always the most Critical. Them, themselves <laughs> critical and I think so you're I, a good teacher is what you're yeah, saying right. <laughs> just really how that typically plays out I look at this booklet and I see you know that it really is traditional mathematics content where I have a note page with a QR code where the kids are watching a video that I've made mm -hmm. where they're filling in the blanks as I'm talking to them you know I try to keep the videos about five to ten minutes each um, and that would be something in the classroom. I try to keep a direct instruction lesson five to 10 minutes each, yep. but they're watching a video and they're filling in the blanks and then they're doing homework problems. They're correcting it themselves. Uh, the responsibility is on them to correct and then email me with any questions that they might have, but they're working through a series of lessons like you would do in the regular classroom. But I guess the piece that's, that I've heard feedback wise from the kids is that I can pause the video, I can rewind it, mm -hmm. I can scrub through till the end and just check my answers types of thing. And that, you know, in the regular classroom, a 60 minute class period could be condensed to 20 minutes and allow that kid to move on to the next lesson if they're ready. Mm -hmm. And then when I pick up with them, when I see them face to face, back up a little bit, these kids are in this class five days a week, 60 minutes of math time 
in their sixth grade math class. So in the room that they are always in with their teacher and they're just kind of in a little breakout group in the midst of that. Right. right? And if you want to see, and correct me if I'm wrong with this, because I think your son was in this group actually Mm -hmm. last year, but uh, if you want to see a video of how this sort of looks, we do have um, on the Westside Personalized site and also on my uh, personal YouTube page uh, through the district, a video with Lindsay Jagels actually here at Sunset, uh, an old building though, Mm -hmm. where we got a chance to kind of see how that group functions as almost a class within the class. So uh, if you need the visual, there's some places for that. So kind of back to it though, Lynn, in the midst of, yeah, they're they're showing up five days a week, 60 minutes math time. And compare that to last year, we've kind of morphed, you know, into where we're currently at based on feedback from last year. So last year I actually did see the kids as a whole group. So all the kids came to me twice a week at Sunset Hills for 40 minutes of instruction twice a week. And that was a whole group. Okay. And we just the sunset group. No, everyone. Oh, okay. That, that's why I wanted to ask. When right? you say everyone, you mean parents dropped off the 19 kids last year on Tuesday, from... Wednesday from Swanson, from Prairie Lane, from Rockbrook, from well, Sunset. You know, yeah, they all we have, came. What ten? Yeah. Elementary. So they all came to me, and then the bus took them back. And so these kids last year were spending 90 minutes a day because the math block changed. It's now 60 minutes. It was 90 minutes. So those kids last year had five days of 90 minutes in their classroom, essentially on their own, driving Mm -hmm. their learning. And as you can imagine, when you saw Lindsay's group, some of those groups function well within the classroom. Um, Some of them, (laughs) you know, are given the freedom to go elsewhere. And that doesn't always work out well. But again, getting some things that do work and don't work with those Mm -hmm. kids. But this year, we are not busing anyone. I'm going to see the kids in their home building twice a week. So those five days a week of math, two of those math times are with me face to face. And so during that time, I'm not going to sit there and watch them work on this booklet. Sure. I'm going to take them wherever I can take them. Mm-hmm. So if Andrew's ready for kind of the next level up, we're going to go there. And I also have things built into the, the booklet, you know, to do as we find time to do them. But it really is that one-on-one relationship that I think defines this program. And I, I would like to keep it this way. Yeah. But then you also have that discussion of, you know, is that fiscally responsible to have one person's salary doing so much individually with these kids? And I Mm -hmm. mean, I could argue both sides of that because I really feel like that one-to-one is invaluable with these kids. Absolutely. And that personal feedback and, you know, just what they need just in time learning. But the other side of that is I spend a lot of time in my car driving (laughs) to the kids. Um, Could these kids potentially move back to maybe once a week? Yes, but they are still sixth graders. You know, they're still very mm-hmm. much in their formative years and need that guidance of how do I structure my time when I don't have someone telling me every minute right. what to do. And that, I would even say for myself, that's a learner preference that I have. Even uh, if it's a written instruction, I can probably navigate, but I still would prefer a video if I had the opportunity. And with that video, even then, sometimes I feel so limited because I, I appreciate a good dialogue. Yeah. And uh, I tend to think about things in the gray area between black and white. Mm-hmm. And so that usually leaves me in a pretty muddled, muddy spot, I guess, in the midst right. of it all. That uh, it is very helpful to me to be able to speak to someone directly. And so right. uh, that's good that you, I think, are there at least two days. I would, I would want at least two days as right. a learner as one of my preferences. Mm-hmm. So what would you say then kind of reflections just on how that has been this year for you and and how personalized is it i guess do you see that like where do you see these worlds kind of meeting up since we're talking on a personalized podcast here well i'm constantly thinking 
about whether this is in fact personalized. Is it personalized or is it just individualized for each student? Is it just differentiation? Yes, I've been to all your trainings and yes, I've sat through sessions upon sessions about all of these things. I've done my professional learning in these topics, but I don't think that I still sometimes question what I'm doing and whether it's personalized or whether it's the best for this age level. You know, I just I I have that uneasiness sometimes. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I leave and I'm on top of the world because I've just, you know, everything just seems to click. And wow, I've been able to meet kids where they're at. And I've even been able to take some kids that didn't necessarily qualify, but then get them to a place where they're excited about math and even help teachers who don't have time to maybe create something. And I can help them uh, with a resource. And so it's just kind of a, you know, it ebbs and flows, you know, with the where I'm at on this. So mm-hmm. catch uh, me on any particular day, you might get a different answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, anytime you're moving the needle, whether that's for teachers or for students, call it personalized, call it whatever you want. That's a great thing, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and I think those trepidations are, and that confusion about what actually fits the definition of personalized learning is something that is a little confusing for a number of reasons. I think the first and foremost, when we talk about defining personalized learning for our district, and this is something I don't know if we've gotten into on the podcast a whole lot, so I'm excited to kind of share this a little bit, but it is an idea of its individualization plus differentiation and then voice and choice, which sounds like differentiation, but it's not because that's driven by the student. Because I, I believe you can give individualized like pacing, and you can also definitely give choices within that pacing, but you're still, as the teacher, the one driving that process where now you're getting a conversation about stages. And this is, gets to Bray and McClaskey's work on personalized learning environments, where stage one personalized learning environment would say that the teacher does exactly what I just described, <laughs> that you almost have to initially say, here are some potential choices. And here is, now you're gonna control pace for the very first time maybe in your educational experience. What was that a lot of responsibility? Here's some supports that you might be able to utilize for that, et cetera. And then over time, as students start to get in the habit of having that kind of ownership, then all of a sudden you get in a stage two environment where they're like, hey, can I do this? And how about that? And they start to press into things and it's typically in the form of questions or just little asks for things that get added on. Uh, Where over time, that culture, evolves get to a place where they come up with ideas that you would never have had or options that you have never created and and that stage three is very much like driven primarily by the learner with the teacher more as a a mentor in Mm -hmm. that process and so i guess that all of that is to say that if you fall anywhere on that spectrum it does really kind of fall under personalized learning Mm -hmm. and i think that it's ultimately and you talked systems a minute ago our goal as a district that hey i I'm okay with a personalized learning stage one environment for a first grader or even for a ninth grader if they've never had Mm -hmm. it before. But that idea that you have to start somewhere and that hopefully by the time they get to be seniors, uh, that they have walked into a classroom and taken ownership of things and started to uh, develop that individual agency, which is the whole goal um, behind all of it. So so I think you're good. (laughs) Sounds like you're doing great work with all this. Well, even what you just said, though, too, I can see ways of moving it to the next level just by once I've coached them or taught them about the different resources that they have to learn the content. I think a lot of people or kids go through school thinking the teacher is the only person that can deliver the math content. Mm-hmm. And that's what the way I thought too, because that is the person who knows. But 
through this format, I'm teaching them that they have access through videos, they have access through IXL, they have access through their textbook, they have all these different resources. So maybe right now I'm coaching them on some of these resources so that maybe later this semester or next semester I can say, now is your time to mm -hmm. plan out how you'd like to go about this. Would you like your own menu of choices to get to the end point? And so it's hard for me to let go of some of that because I feel like the math content is so important that I have to teach them a certain way or give them certain things. But I don't think personalization at the level you're talking about takes the teacher completely out of the picture Absolutely at all. Not. Because you still need that teacher's mm -hmm. professional uh, judgment and expertise to come in and say, Yes, the book gives you this, but I want to give you this too. So Yeah, it's what I've experienced in my own time in the classroom. And I hear through doing this podcast, hear this very consistently is that instead of being that knowledge comprehension person on the front end, you end up devoting a large part of that same time to individual conversations about extending learning at a much deeper level than you would otherwise have the time right. to do. Uh, and because they're able to learn this kind of when they're ready, uh, it meets them in that moment when they then can turn and put their hand up and they're going to be inquisitive about it because it's not, because uh, sometimes traditional education will teach a concept that, hey, if you didn't finish yesterday's activity, too bad. We're moving on. <laughs> like, we're moving on. This is what we're covering today. And I might not even be able to digest what the heck you're up there talking, what you're talking about, Mr. Mm -hmm. or Mrs. Instructor. Right. <laughs> and so uh, it's nice to have those other pieces like an IXL or a video introduce them to ideas so that you can then still be a very active part of the learning process through dialogue like I was talking about wanting earlier right. <laughs> as a learner myself so yeah. it's cool yeah. so I guess to kind of wrap up our podcast and our conversation here today um, I want to come up with a good question here to, to kind of put you on the spot to close things out I mean uh, I'd, li I'd like to say something oh like... good yeah go ahead no. just drop some knowledge on everybody no no I'd, I'd like to say that I don't want to go continue this journey by myself. And I don't feel like I'm by myself because I know I have the personalized learning collaborators and I have my EY team. I have people that I can go with, but I feel like if anyone wants to explore this concept of blended learning at the elementary level or even how that can expand into the middle school and high school, I know people are already doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, to some degree at the middle school and high school, I think we should just get together and just share some ideas because sometimes when you're kind of doing it on your own, you feel like you're on your own. And yeah. in reality, there's lots of other people that could share the workload and give you some really helpful tips about resources or ideas. And I think we're better together to steal that uh, slogan. Yes. Love it. Um, but, you know, let's let's talk. Let's uh, share some resources and see how this could uh, continue into the future. Uh, I'm totally on board with all that, too, because recently, just this past week, it's been really interesting. There's been two instructional coaches in other districts that in different states that I was kind of surprised like listening to the podcast and they're like we well, enjoy kind of hearing what you and your teachers are talking about how do we do this same kind of work in our district and we even did a podcast uh, last week to kind of answer some of the questions that they had yes. uh, because it is it's it's tough to function in isolation sometimes and you do get in your own head at least I do start questioning like hey is this really moving along the way that I think it should or how you know how, where are we at with things and uh, it's not until you kind of bounce ideas off of the people and you go okay this part obviously is going really well but wow that's a really cool thing that you're doing too and so I'd love to incorporate that piece that element that aspect 
And so, yeah, definitely feel free if you're listening in right now to reach out. Um, you want to do email address or best or Twitter, yeah. best way to contact email. you? Email, it's good. Okay, which would be? Spady.lynn at westside66.net. Cool. And so definitely check out the resources on our webpage too as we'll share some of the, the great stuff that Lynn's put together on there. But uh, other than that, thanks for your time today. I really Thank appreciate you. it. And um, hopefully we'll hear from people soon. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on another great episode. For more information or to contact us directly, you can email our team at personalized.learning at westside66.net. As always, thanks for tuning in and learning from the Westside Personalized Podcast.